reconciled 521 FBC podcast, but also our Facebook platform. Today on the Monday, the 20th of July in the year of our Lord 2020, we continue with our talk and our discussion about revival and reformation. And we've been looking at the biblical accounts on revival. And it's been such a joy just to uh, look in the word of God and to examine those times when the Lord had to um, move among his people. And these accounts of revival, uh, as we see them revealed to us in the scripture, uh, they are unfolding something to us that's a reality that um, the idea of revival, what we see in the Bible, we can see here that it's, it's originating from the reality that on the one hand, God is the decisive giver of all revivals or all spiritual life, just as we see it in our salvation. But on the other hand, however, we as human beings, even those of us who are born again, uh, we, 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 we have a tendency uh, as God's covenant people, we have a tendency of going back from time to time. We go into this drift where we find ourselves into a kind of a lifeless and uh, uh, lethargical backslidings that uh, we find ourselves to be indifferent and weak. Uh, when it comes to the things of God. So there's that reality and you, you can see it. So we studied last week just examining the book of uh, from Old Testament and we will move even in this week just looking at those biblical accounts of revival. It is prudent for us to establish the biblical basis as to the times when God's people uh, had moved away and shifted from their um, God-given mandate as it would or as when they they would shift away from their God in, in times when they needed to. So they ran after other gods and other idols. So then what we see is that God as the giver of life and man as the ever drifting uh, being who drifts towards lifeless and lethargical lifestyles. Uh, God then is the one who comes in and he uses different men at different times when his people are drifting away to come with the word. And if those men are tasked to call forth God's people to the word of God. So revivals may be different as we, we, we are going to yet to see in the different aspects of the church history as well. There will be uh, different times when God will choose in his sovereign work to come and to uh, work among us, his people. But you and I, just like God's people in the Bible, found themselves into a time when they were compromising. So we too find ourselves at a crucial time when there is darkness roaming around the earth, when there is com compromise in the church of Jesus Christ, when they, there is a time when uh, men, instead of, uh, instead of confronting sin, it seems that we are more conforming to sin. It looks as though uh, we, we have this unceasing desire for the world. As, as maybe Paul would put it uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it looks as though we have a form of godliness and yet we're denying the power thereof. But as you read through the revivals recorded in the Bible, you, you are going to quickly see some of the commonalities among the people of God. And, and you will see that each of the revivals occurred in times of moral darkness and uh, national depression. And you're going to see that even as we are going to examine first. First Samuel chapter 7 this morning and we saw that last week with the story of um, uh, when we looked at the book of Exodus but also the book of Genesis. 
all revivals, what you see is that all revivals resulted in uh, to, 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 to a return to the worship of God. And that's what you see. Those will be commonalities. Uh, they begin in the heart of a consecrated servant of God who come forth and he, he becomes the energizing power to bring forth the word of God faithfully. So we spoke of this as to the necessity and to some of the requirements of revival. We said this last week that for a revival to take place, there must be a genuine desire for holiness. There must be a return to the word of God. There must be a return to prayer. And there must be uh, lives that are devoted. And in simple words, like I said yesterday, we actually, and what, what you're going to see is, this is not actually a call to some higher life somewhere there. It's neither a call to some, um, su some supernatural um, uh, experience that one is going to glory in their own experience. In every revival, men would tend to uh, sit back and God takes the center stage. God is the one who takes the center stage and it's God who works in us using the ordinary means of our Christian lives. Those ordinary means like going back to the Bible, praying before the Lord. And as, as the Lord is doing that, then he quickens our hearts and our desires that we desire to see nations turning to him. We desire to see people turning their hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ. So then what happens is this, that when there is a true revival, there must be a rising up of God's people that we will go out there and we call forth the nations to repentance. And this is what you are going to see. Then there's a, uh, as a result of the revival amongst God's people, you will see then that God's people will be fervent and they'll be zealous when it comes to evangelism. Then. And as, as such, then people from outside will see and people from outside will testify and they will be yearning to, to, to see their lives transformed. As the word of God is preached, as God's people on their knees, as God's people are returning to the word and they are preaching the word, then there's this uh, ripple effect you are going to see that nations and people out there are going then to come back to the Lord God Almighty. And that's what we desire, don't we? We desire to see that even in this time of darkness. As a result, then in every revival, what you see that they, they, they is a, they, they is a, a, a return to the worship of God. Each revival witnessed the destruction of idols where, uh, where they were existing. You will see even in the text that we are going to look at. In every revival, brothers and sisters, people returned to obedience to God. That's what we are going to see even this morning. So, I would like to invite you then to take your Bibles as we look at the third account of uh, a biblical account of revival found in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 7. And we are going to read together from verse 3 of the book of 1 Samuel all the way to, to verse 11 of that chapter. 1 Samuel chapter 7, and hear the word of the Lord. And Samuel said to all the people, to the house of Israel, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the astrals from among you and direct your heart to the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. That's a promise and I want you to see that. 
So the people of Israel put away the bars and the astrototh and, and they served the Lord only. And I want you to mark those words. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel and Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and they drew water and they poured it out before the Lord and they fasted on that day and they said, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the Lord's the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. These are the enemies of Israel at this particular time, the Philistines. These would be the arch enemy of Israel. You remember them very well in 1 Samuel chapter. Uh, you see them again as, as, as David is yet to be called by God that uh, the, from these people came uh, Goliath. Now you hear in verse 8, And the people of Israel, they said to Samuel, listen to these words, Do not cease. To pray, to cry out to the Lord, our God, to the Lord, our God, for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord, and Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines, and he threw them into confusion, and they defeated, they defeat, they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah, and they pursued the Philistines. And they struck them as far below Bethkar. So here we, we, are, we are introduced to uh, the people of Israel. And as we come to this particular section, we find the people um, that are living in perpetual backsliding. What do we have? Uh, as you would recall very well, this would be the time of the judges as, as this account is taking place. Uh, Israel has come to a place where they have been in the early history of Israel after the time of Moses and Joshua. They, 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 there was a long period when the people turned away from God. Uh, at this time, they worshipped other gods. Uh, but on many occasions, they mixed idol worship uh, with the worship of Yahweh. That's what they were doing. Uh, during this time, um, the Lord would raise men who... You will see in the Bible they are called judges. These were political and military leaders who would come to rescue God's people during these military and political crises. But the difficulties were used by God to cause the people to seek the Lord. Because every time that the Lord God would raise, every time the Lord God would allow the enemies of Israel to come and attack them, they would cry out to the Lord. And whenever they would cry out to the Lord, then the Lord will raise up before them a judge. So during this time of judges, uh, there were many and there were a lot of political and military crises. So they would cry and the Lord used this for his own good. And he would use this. There was this cycle. There was this cycle of backslidings. 
uh, you hear it mocked by this word in the book of Judges, and there was no king in Israel in, that, in those days, and everybody did what they saw fit in their own eyes. And in response, what you have is at this time of backsliding, the Lord who raised up judges to deliver these people, uh, this would be more successful on some occasions than on the others. But the scripture here shows us of Samuel, uh, a man who is seen right from even before he is born. He is described in Psalm 99 verse 6 to 9 as a man of prayer. That's one thing we see about this leader. Psalm 99 portrays him as one of the Old Testament giants, one who lived his life as a life that was marked with devotion to God and consecration to him. But though this man would come on the scene, this man is born at a time when there is corruption in Israel. There is a revolt in the, amongst the people of God. And I want you to just check with me in the book of 1 Samuel chapter, chapter 2. And you'll see here uh, concerning the sons of Eli. The sons of Eli are marked by uh, disregard for God. And they, they were men who were worthless. Chapter 2 verse 12 tells us that. They did not know the Lord. These men were greedy men. They were, they were, they were supposed to be priests who would be standing in the house of the Lord. And this man Samuel is born at a time when there's darkness. There's corruption in the household of God. The men of God are self-serving at this particular time. The sons of Eri. They, 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 are, they are priesthood. They, they, were, they were supposed to, to, to serve as priests, but they were contempt. They were corrupt. They were greedy that they would go in the house of the Lord and they would, they would take a sacrifice and they would take portions that were not supposed to be theirs. They had a three-pronged three fork that they would, they would go into the sacrifice of God and they would take and they would eat that for themselves. Greedy men, worthless men. And the Bible will tell us in verse 17 of chapter 2, the sin of these young men was very great in the sight of the Lord, for they treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. And not only were they greedy men, not only were they men who were self-serving, these men were men who were also immoral. What were they doing? They were sleeping with women in the household of God. Verse 22 of chapter 2 of Samuel tells us that Eli's son, they were very wicked. And now Eli was old and he kept on hearing all that his sons were doing to all Israel. And how they lay with the women who were serving at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Can you see the wickedness of these men? Does this sound familiar? Greedy among us, the men of God. Sexual morality among us, the men of God. We hear of the men of God in the day and age we are living in, sleeping with young girls in the church. We hear of the men of God, they are in it for money. You cannot see them unless, until you pay the money. 
They are selling things, ambans, holy oil, holy water, and we see it all around us in Africa, don't we? And it has become a custom that we, we somehow have exalted them and we have put them on the pedestal and they scare and they, 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 they tend to frighten God's people to say, touch ye not the anointed and do no harm to his prophets. They are false prophets, worthless men who do not know their God. Such was the condition in which Samuel found themselves, found himself. They treated the Lord God with contempt. And this sin, brothers and sisters, was great in the sight of God. Eli will be the, the, the man who he is he, actually condemned by God. And, and God would, would, would come at this time and, and God would lament concerning this sin that the sons of Eli were doing. And Eli would try to, to, to employ with his sons to speak with them so that maybe they, they, they would repent. But listen what God had said. So Eli would come and he would tell them, Far be it from me, for those, uh, the Lord will say, Far be it from me, those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me shall I lightly esteem. Behold, days are coming when I will cut off the strength from and the strength of your father's house, so that there will not be an old man in your house. Then in distress you will look with envious eye on all who pros all, all the prosperity of that I shall bestow on Israel, and there shall not be an old man in your household forever. And the Lord was, God was not pleased with the sin of the sons of Eli. It is from that context, this dark context, that that dark context is marked by a disregard by the leaders of the day, Contempt and corruption amongst them that they were greedy and they were immoral. But as I said last week, the leaders have, have, have a significant role that they play. If leaders are living a corrupt life, don't expect that people will live differently. You should not expect that, uh, as, as we see in the church today, if the church leaders are walking and they are living a corrupt life. Let's not expect uh, that if the leaders are living a corrupt life, let's not expect that somehow the members of the church will live differently. It is not the case because what we find then, we find that what, what we have here is that as we see in First Samuel chapter 7, you find then that the people as well had moved away. They had separated themselves. They had moved, they have drifted so far away from the Lord that Samuel begins this work of reformation. As Samuel begins this work that he wants to see a, 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 a devotion amongst God's people, he urges them then, he tells them. And here's what Samuel says to them. And I want you to see here. Samuel comes and he says in verse 3, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, not some of your heart, but with all your heart, if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, 
at this time, brothers and sisters, these people have drifted away from the Lord. At this time, these people, actually the word of God, even before Samuel came on the scene, uh, the, the disobedience of the sons of Eli, this is worth noting, the disobedience of the sons of Eli made it that the word of God was actually rare at this particular time. In other words, it is as though God was silent, that God was not speaking to his people. And you move from this time, when the, from the rare word, to the time when the word of God is everywhere. Because in verse 1 of chapter 3, Samuel, the young man, he was ministering to the Lord. While Samuel is serving the Lord, you hear in verse, in verse 1, And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. So we, we come to a place when there is so much corruption, so much so that God's word is rare. God is not even speaking to his people. Because the, the, the servants of the day, they, they are so corrupt, they are only coming and the only thing that they can do is to please themselves. But there arises and God raises this young man Samuel, who was born from Hannah, a woman of prayer, and verse 7 of chapter 3 tells us, Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord was not yet been revealed to him. You see that? So the word of God, is there's a way in which uh, before even Samuel is called, the word of God is rare. But as Samuel is called by God in chapter 3, he begins his ministry, then Samuel begins his work, and he comes to God's people, and he is then calling forth the people of the Lord to return to the Lord. But here are the terms and the conditions. If you want to see the move of God, if you are, if you are returning to the Lord, Samuel makes these conditions. If you desire and if you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, with, not with some of your heart, one, what is Samuel asking the people to do? Put away the foreign gods. These foreign gods are amongst God's people. Put away these idols that are among you. Two, direct your heart to the Lord. Can you see that? So put away, direct your heart to the Lord. And this is the call. And lastly, you must serve Him only. Three things they were supposed to do. Put away, direct their hearts, serve Him only. Only, no other God, no other idol. They must put away, they must discard, they must, they, 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 they need to come in repentance and say that they are returning. And this returning must happen amongst them. In that, they ought to direct their hearts to the Lord. Because it is, it is one thing to put away an idol, where, where, where are you, 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 you have put this image away, but your heart is still with your image. You see, God had the same problem when, when he, he speaks in Isaiah. He said that these people come to me with their lips. They worship me with their mouths, but their hearts are so far away from me. God knew and, and he knows here that the corruption of these people is not just in the outward manifestations or the outward expressions of their worship. The cardinal issue was the heart itself. In that, as Jeremiah 17 verse 9 will tell us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked and beyond cure. 
It is this heart where Jesus Christ will tell us that it is from the heart where sexual moralities, evil things, they come from. This is what God has in mind. And God is urging his people to say, return to me, not with part of your heart, with all your heart. Why? Because where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. So if you are returning to the Lord and you make God your treasure, if you make God the object of your worship, then and then, you have truly returned to the Lord. And not only that, but you have to serve Him only. Serving the Lord exclusively. Serving the Lord joyfully. Serving the Lord zealously. And that is what is expected of us, church. If we are to see the move of God, if we are to see revival in the day and age we are living in, true revivals, as you are seeing here, true revivals are marked by true repentance. A commitment to the Lord. True revivals are a returning to the Lord. Revivals can simply be defined by this one word. A true revival is marked by a people who have forsaken everything that they have known and their want and their desires to worship the one true God and to serve Him only and completely. You are being sought out for Christ. That's the kind of men and women we need in the day and age we are living in. Return. But for you to return, here are the three conditions. Put away, direct your heart, serve the Lord only. Colossians chapter 3 verses 1, brothers and sisters, the Bible says, Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated, at the right hand of God the Father. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 and 2 says, Fix your eyes then on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfect of our faith, having this cloud of witness that is surrounding us. Therefore, we need to lay aside every weight of sin that so easily ensnare us, and let us lay aside every sin that so easily ensnare us, and let us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despised its shame. And this is what we are called to do, to once again lay aside every weight of sin, to once again confess our sin, knowing that our God is faithful, is just to forgive us of every unrighteousness. As such, what do we see? Samuel promises to them to say, if you do this, then the Lord is going to rescue you. So he calls them to return, and they come and repented. You see in verse number six, so they gathered at Mizpah, they drew water and they poured it before the Lord. What are they doing? They humbled themselves, they fasted, and they poured out, they prayed on that day. They said unto the Lord, we have sinned against the Lord. We have sinned against the Lord. They humbled themselves. They, they, they are returning. It is expressed also in their humility. They confess and they repent. They humble themselves. It is marked with contrition. It is marked with humility. They realize of how sinful they are. And they come before the Lord. And they are not hiding their sins. They're not trying to, to play Christianity. They're not trying to, to play religion. They are coming in humility and they are taking away their idols and they are praying and they are fasting, confessing to the Lord to say, we have sinned. And you see, brothers and sisters, that this is the kind 
of people God is looking for. A people who be obedient to his word. A people who be obedient to his call. A people who be sold out for him. A people who lay aside every sin. A people who give of themselves to the Lord. And as such the Lord will be able and is capable to rescue us from all our enemies. As you see here, lastly, not only do we see returning to the Lord, not only do we see repentance, but we see a rescue from God. And a, a rescue that God brings about. Now when they were, they were at Mizpah, the Philistines came against them. They are coming to fight. These will be the arch enemies of Israel. And the people of the Lord, are know, uh, they know very well how weak they are. They know how powerless they are. As the Philistines are coming to defeat them, as the Philistines are coming to fight against them, you hear there, rightly so, verse 7, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people say to Samuel, Do not cease to pray for us to the Lord our God, so that he may save us from the Philistines. And the Philistines were coming, and, and, and they are flying, and they, they, are, they are there. They, they've come to a place where they are weak, and they realize of their vulnerability. But in their vulnerable state, they can only run to the one who is the great and mighty in battle, God himself. And they ask Samuel, please pray for us. Do not cease to pray for us, that the Lord may save us. You see that word? He may save us. He may rescue us. So we sing the rescue of God. Because Samuel offered a burnt offering. And as the Philistines were drawing near, the Lord sounded with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines. And he threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. You talk of the Lord's restoration and the Lord's rescue. Here we have it. How does the Lord rescue his people? He rescues his people when they humble themselves and they trust in his deliverance. When they humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, repent of their sins, and they depend on him exclusively, and they serve him only. That's what God does. He rescues them. Is God able to rescue our generation from all its immoralities? It's God able to serve his own church in this time when we, are, we see the church infested by false prophets and false teachers. Yes, I bet you he is. Only if we, his people, will turn back to him, acknowledging him as the one who was crucified and died on the cross so that we may receive righteousness that we did not deserve. Unless we come to him and we acknowledge that he alone is the one who is able to do more than we are able to do. So I ask you this morning, what is that idol that you have seen in your own life that you need to put away? What is it that your heart is, has been directed to? Is it to the Lord? Or is it to the things of this world? Who are you serving in this day and who do you desire to serve for the rest of your life? Who do you desire to serve in this week? Who do you desire to serve in the next hour? Are you desiring to serve the one true God who made the heavens and the earth, who sent his one and only son Jesus to come and to die on the cross for you? Or are you desiring to serve your own, your own desires, your own emotions, your own 
cravings, your own emotions? Are you desiring to serve the one true God that is able and who is able to serve and to rescue you not only from sin, but even from death? And he's able to serve you from the wrath of himself that is to come because he's a holy and a righteous God. Will you today turn your heart to him? Serve him with all your heart and serve him only. If you do that, he will be glorified among us. He will restore and revive his church once again. And we will see him at work, just as we saw him at work in the life of Samuel. May the Lord help us in this day, even as we desire to see him at work in every aspect of our being. Let's bow our heads this morning and we pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord, that you have loved us and you have called us to yourself. We acknowledge this morning, Lord, you are good. And that your goodness and your mercies endure us forever. We ask of you this morning that you will be glorified in our lives. Our desire indeed is that we return to you. Our desire is that indeed we will put away everything and we will serve you and you only. So bless this one, my brother and my sister, as we long and we look at these biblical accounts of revival and reformation, we see something as to the pattern that you require and you expect of us. To put away all sin and to run unto the Savior. To put away all unrighteousness and to run unto him who is able to grant us righteousness that is acceptable in your sight. It is for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ for the good of your church, for the gladness of your bride. We ask all this. And may God's people say, Amen. It's been a blessing and a joy to share God's word with you. God willing, and if Christ studies, we'll see you again tomorrow as we look at the second account of, uh, second biblical account on revival as we see it in the Old Testament. May the Lord God bless you. You are with me, your host, Gideon Impeni. And until tomorrow, God bless you richly. Thank you very much.